Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. My name is Chris St. James. And I'm Crystal St. James. And we've been going to FaithBridge for about four years. Crystal and I met at work and um, we had moved around and most of the opportunities with that company involved moving more and we decided we really wanted to make a home, uh, which involved sort of a crossroads and maybe considering a career change. Law school was always something that I had considered and we felt like it was either then or never. Uh, moving to this part of town kind of fell in line perfectly with um, changing career. You know, we had our last child right before we moved here. Came to Faithbridge on a Christmas Eve service and uh, quickly made it home and, and really never looked back. Right away we just got plugged in. I serve in the kids' ministry and uh, the women's ministry on Thursday. And then we also have a girl group that meets and um, we do Bible study and just do life with them. We went through a period where I was in uh, law school for about four years and um, working nights. And so Monday through Friday were really completely off limits. We had no family time whatsoever. Uh, Sunday and Faithbridge and what became our, you know, every week, um, this was really the one time that all of us came together um, as a family. That's where we kind of realized that this is our highlight of our week. And if I'm giving something up, it's going to be anything else. Uh, I don't want to give this up. Now we were sort of regular servers. And I, I did have this sort of sense that maybe there's something else we could be doing. The all-in campaign started, and it was sort of this ladder concept that um, if you aren't ready for this, find out where you are and take the next step. I would say that it was a defining moment when um, I, I remember the sermon that Ken preached on the All-In Campaign, and before I even got out of my seat, I was getting texts from Chris in the back because he was in, on, you know, serving on the media team. And so immediately I thought, you know, this, it kind of changes the perspective of our family. We were um, what I would call, I think, occasional givers at the time occasional givers, regular servers, and it helped me realize that we can take the next step and eliminate all the excuses of I can't do this amount because it's too much. Now I can just take this next step, but it wasn't always uh, wasn't always totally easy. When I graduated law school, immediately um, student loans become due. At that point, the temptation was there to say, these student loans are coming up, we didn't have them before, we have them now we're gonna have to, you know, we might have to not do this in order to do this. I think what it did was make us look at money differently across the board. And I don't know if I can narrow it down to one thing, but I believe we were more responsible in every way with our money. I think it was an, e it was an easy decision. We knew that it was something that God called us to do. We know, and it was painted pretty clearly for us, what FaithBridge was gonna do with the money that generated from this campaign and just ongoing giving. Not long after we started this campaign that a new building sprung up, even just directly in our family, our kids 
Uh, that building is extremely important to them. Uh, that's a part of their life. They'll never forget that building. The reason why it's easy to invest our time and our money and our service into Faith Bridges because I see the, the results in our family of a life change. When we look at all of the things that have happened since we initially um, made that commitment, really, truly, it's not even a consideration to go back and undo what we've already started. It's more of what can we do next and how much more, what are the next steps in this? So it's not even something that we would go back on. Hey, big hand for the St. James family. <laughs> Takes a lot of courage to go up and sort of be transparent like that. Welcome. So glad that you are here, whether you're on our Klein campus or whether you're at the Woodlands campus or whether you're online, however it is that you're here, we're really happy that you're here uh, today as we continue and wrap up this series that we've been calling Transformed. This is part four, and so here's what we're going to need. You're going to need a Bible, so why don't you take your Bible, and if you need to borrow one, or it's our gift to you, if you just need one, you just, either which way, you raise your hand, the ushers are coming in all our rooms, 2 Corinthians 8 is where we're going to go. So you're going to be turning there. That's in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8. And, and while we're turning there, I'll just put this question uh, to you. Would you think about most any movie that you have ever really enjoyed and or think about any episode of daytime TV or Oprah shows or The Biggest Loser? What do all these shows have in common that keep people coming back for more? transformation. It's all about lives being changed. We just, something inside of us likes to know that lives can be changed. All movies, really, really most any movie and the shows like I was just talking about, what, what are those about? They're about fat people turning skinny. They're about sick people getting healthy. They're about estranged people becoming reconciled. They're about cowards who are getting courageous, about hostages who are getting freed, about trapped folks who are becoming liberated, liars that are turning honest, unfaithful who are becoming faithful, mean or crotchety who are turning into warm, kind, generous sorts of people. Transformation is at the nub of most any good story, right? And when you think about it, that's really the story of Christianity. That's, it's the whole concept of a God who loved us so much that he looked upon us in our sinful state, a state we could never fix ourselves and get ourselves out of. And he said, you won't be able to change yourself, but I can do it for you. And he sent his son, Jesus, who would die on the cross for us, taking our sins onto himself, serving as our substitute, going to the tomb, but then on the third day, rising, conquering the grave and communicating to all of us, now you who trust in me, you can be transformed to life, everlasting and abundant as well. Christianity is the story, the ultimate story of transformation. Now, many of you have noticed uh, here in this series, we've been talking about 
transformation, and we have talked about how transformation uh, of the heart relates to our generosity, right? But I hope that you've seen, and I've noticed that many of you have because you've told me, this series has really been a whole lot more about than just about money. I mean, in, in week one, what did I do? I talked about that week when you realize that you're on the brink of death, and then you're brought back to life, everything changes, right? And you find your heart now has love that it didn't have in it before, and it has patience and gratitude and generosity and, and just all these things that wasn't there before the miracle. And then Julie challenged us, challenged us two weeks ago with the realization <clears throat> that surrender to Jesus Christ isn't so much forcing your heart to be bent to God's will so much as it is allowing your heart to be melted into a whole new shape. And then as our hearts are melted, she talked with us about how Christ's love and his grace brings us to a point of surrendering to him. Surrendering what? Surrendering our pride Surrendering our self-righteous, I'm a little bit better and a little bit more spiritual than you sorts of attitudes. Even, she was very vulnerable, it wasn't it? Vulnerable about it, wasn't she? Even the most intimate aspects of our sexuality, we surrender to God. When we really say, I want you to transform me. I really want to become yours, Lord. And then last week, what did Sully talk about? He talked with us about how for every serious transforming follower of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> all of life really comes down to one question. It's the same question over and over. Will I really trust God? Will I really trust him? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the seasons, regardless of what's going on around me, will I trust in him? And so we've been talking about how really transformation of the heart touches every aspect of our lives. And as we become transformed, other people notice, right? They, they, they see this, and they say things like, you know, <laughs> I've been watching you, and uh, I've known you a lot of years, but something's a little different about you. Like what? Well, like, I just noticed you, you seem like you're a little more patient than you used to be, or you're a little bit more loving, or you're a little more kind, you're a little more generous. You're a little bit more joyful. I'm noticing something's different about you. But it's not a transformation that's coming from the outside in. It's not that we're just going out and saying, you know what, I just want a lot of these good qualities to characterize my, my life, so I'm just going to will them into existence. That's sort of, sort of self-motivation. You know, uh, that, that is not going to lead to transformation. Oh, it might look nice for an hour or two or three if you're really good at it. But the transformation of Jesus Christ is not something that comes from the outside in. It's something that happens from the inside out as Christ is working in our hearts. 
I was talking with a man a while back, and he was saying, you know, I can tell something's happening inside of me. How can you tell? I asked. He said, well, for one thing, I never cared anything about the Bible. But now I find myself wanting to read it and wanting to understand it. Ah, something's happening inside of you. Another one who said, you know what, I've never really thought anything about prayer. I certainly didn't do it. But as I've been in this group and we've talked about prayer and so, I, I find myself actually saying, well, God, I want to talk to you and actually dare to believe that you're real and that you're hearing me and that you'd like to do something inside of me. And how's it going, I ask? He says, it's really strange. It's, it's sort of like I can tell it's getting through. I said, yeah. Something's happening. You're being transformed deep in your heart. Or yet another who says, you know what? I've always thought of my money as my money, and I'll do with it what I want. And yet the more that I've been growing in Christ, the more my eyes have been coming open to a lot of different people's needs. I never noticed them before, but I noticed these things, and I find myself, it's kind of counterintuitive, but I find myself wanting to say, well, you know what? I want to help on that cause. And I want to help the, the, the expansion of Christ's kingdom to happen. What's going on? Am I losing it? No, no, no. You, something's happening from the inside out. Christ is working in your heart. Or yet one other guy who said a while back, he said to me, you know what, Ken? He said, I believe that my wife is having an affair. I said, what? She, he said, yes. I believe she's having an affair. And it is making her into the most wonderful wife. And I said, now you're really going to have to back up and sort of break that one down for me. Because I'm not following it. He said, Ken, it's as if my wife is having an affair with Jesus. It's just like she's opened up her heart to Jesus and she spends time talking with him and she spends time praying and and, and studying his word. And it's it's like things are changing inside of her. She's become a softer person. She's, She's become so much more enjoyable and fun to be around. Our marriage has never been better. I've never felt more love towards her as I'm watching this happen. What's going on? She's being transformed from the inside out by the power of Jesus inside of her. Transformation. So when we say we're going to walk with Christ, I I think a lot of American Christians have this a little bit confused. I think many people say, well, I'm going to trust in Christ. So you want me to repeat that prayer, you know, and and invite Jesus to come to my life and so on and so forth. And yeah, okay, check. And I think many people errantly think, so there. I'm done, as if it's the finish line. (laughs) That's not the finish line. That's the starting line. It's no more the finish line as it would be for any uh, healthy marriage to think of wedding day as the finish line. How is a marriage going to work if two people are coming to it and they're thinking, well, that's the finish line. No, that cannot possibly be the finish line. That's the starting line after which we're going to grow in our understanding, in our patience, in our love, you know, Um, for one another, learning how to serve each other. 
and sacrifice for each other. That's what makes a vibrant marriage. Wedding day is not the finish line, it's the starting line. Same with the day that we put our trust truly in Jesus. That's when the adventure begins. And so the objective of us as followers of Jesus Christ is to increasingly say, so Lord, what is it that you want to transform next in me? What is it that you want me to surrender now? Because, you know, I feel like in this area of my life, and in this area of life, I'm, I'm rather surrendered, but I'm kind of aware that over here I have these feelings or these thoughts or these lusts or this pride and, you know, or this greed and, and whatever it is. And we say, I don't know that I really want to let go of that. Maybe it's unforgiveness. I'm not going to forgive. Now, I love you, Jesus, and all of this is surrendered, but I'm not letting go. Jesus says, no, no, that's not the way it works. If you're really going to follow me, you you got to go all in, 100%. Every little closet of your soul, I want to open it. And I'm asking you to let me go in and work and bring about transformation. Complete transformation. That's what we've been talking about in this series, which certainly is not just about the transformation of our giving or our generosity. It, it certainly is at least that much, but it's certainly, that's just one piece of the whole discipleship pie, right? In fact, in a culture like ours where possessions and wealth count for so much, generosity or the lack thereof can serve as a decent gauge for how surrendered are we Really, how transformed is our heart really becoming? As one person said, a heart of a transformed person, person being transformed by Jesus Christ, is the heart that has taken down the sign that says, do not disturb, and hung up a different sign that says, at your service, Lord. Whatever it is, whenever it is, I'm at your service. And that's what Paul was describing to the Corinthians when he wrote to them in this second letter that we're going to look at uh, briefly today. I want to start in 2 Corinthians 3 and just point out to you one verse. It's verse 318. It captures exactly what we're talking about here. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces, in other words, with nothing between us and God, all of us, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our life more fully and we become more consistently like him. Which means the rest of our lives here on earth represents nothing more than an ongoing journey of transformation into the likeness of Jesus. So, what brings about the transformation? Jesus, and only Jesus, melting the heart. And that's what Paul was trying to communicate to these Corinthians when we go to chapter 8. So you can just move over a couple of pages, chapter 8. And in this section, he was talking, in fact, with them about the discipleship aspect of their life that we refer to as generosity. 
And I want us to notice something uh, that he says to them. But the background first before I read it. The, the, there was lots of different churches all around the Mediterranean region. Paul was going around and he was starting many, most of them. And so he's writing to this church in Corinth, Greece, and he's, he's basically taking an offering for the Christians over in Jerusalem because he's saying, hey, the Jerusalem Christians, that, that, that church has really fallen on hard times. Uh, there's been a, a bad famine, and they've got a lot of widows that they're trying to take care of, and they need support. And I'm asking you, Corinthians, would you help? But I want you to notice what he's going to do is he's going to highlight yet another church. He says, I want you to look at the Corinthians. I mean, I want you to look, Corinthians, at the Christians in Macedonia. Now, why Macedonia? That was another town in Greece, about 100 miles from Corinth. But there was a little bit of a rivalry, I guess you could say. The Corinthians, in fact, they looked down upon the Macedonians as sort of a little bit of a lesser breed of people. And they knew that the Macedonians tended to be much more impoverished than they were in affluent Corinth. And so they didn't think so highly of uh, the Macedonians. I guess you could say sort of like the people sometimes who live in College Station think about the people who live in Austin or vice versa. So there's this sort of uh, this little rivalry. And, and so Paul is going to say, now, Corinthians, I want you to pay attention to something as I talk about the need of the church in Jerusalem that I'm trying to raise some support for. Let's look at what he says, verse 1. And now, brothers, in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and then they gave beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, the Corinthians are, are, are hearing this, and they're like, wait a minute. The Macedonians are worse off than we are. Those peons, they're poor, they're impoverished, and yet they begged you to let them give more away to the Christians in Jerusalem? Paul's like, yeah, right, that's really strange. Who would do that? Why would somebody do that? Only because their hearts had been melted by Jesus. That's what did it. And so now Paul is turning to the Corinthians and he's saying, if you look back in 1 Corinthians 16, he's saying, hey, you guys made a good start. 
I mean, a year or so ago, you, you were giving very generously over there. But then what happened? Something kind of dried up, and, and now you haven't been doing that. And I'm wondering, what's going on in your heart? Because look at verse 7. He says, you, because you excel in your trust for God. I don't think it's really a trust issue. And you're articulate, and you're insightful, and you're passionate, and you love us. But what's up with your giving? It doesn't make sense that you're, that you're holding back on that, Corinthians. If your hearts have really been touched by Jesus, then wouldn't it also show in your generosity, Christians? Which leads to the key verse. And this is the one I want us to focus on today. It's verse 8. I love the grace that Paul uses here. He says, but look, I'm not going to command you to give. I'm not going to command you. Why? Because I want you to want to. That's really what I want for you. I want you to want to. Why? Because a gift, if it's going to be, I mean, any gift might be valuable, but it might not necessarily be meaningful unless it has come from somebody's heart. A transformed heart, right? <laughs> I was reminded of this in my own life several months ago. My boys, uh, they're, they just turned 8 and 11. And they both have birthdays in September. And so this year, Suzanne and I said, well, okay, look. For the birthday, uh, why don't we go in together and each of you can take a, a, a friend and we'll go to the Astros game. And they're like, that sounds great. They're saying, we, we're a sports family. We love sports. And so, so they're all excited. And we talked about it for weeks and weeks. And they were like, oh, could we take two? Could we take? No, no, I can't do that. But you can take one. And, and um, <clears throat> so it was really hard figuring out, okay, who's it going to be? And how are we going to do this? And, and uh, it turns out that, that the only time that we had any open days that we could go was the last week of September. And that's when they had that, that final homestand series um, against the Rangers, right? At the sort of the, the heat of the pennant race there at the end of the month. And <clears throat> so I went online to get uh, t tickets. And I'm telling you, if I didn't love my boys, I I'd have changed plans right then because I had no idea how much the tickets cost now to go to the Astros games. So, you know, I, I just had to practice deep breathing and, you know, talk with Suzanne. Are we really think, yeah, we really think, this is good. This is going to be a good, good, good. So I pressed, you know, send and bought the tickets and, 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 you know, I'm already in hundreds of dollars now, you know, going into this experience, but we've been looking so much forward to it and there's so much excitement. And, and you know how we sing, you know, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. You know, what we don't sing about is how expensive they are <laughs> at Minute Maid Park. My gosh! You know, and so I'm buying peanuts and Cracker Jacks and popcorn, and we're passing it out, and everybody's having fun. And, and, and it, you know, part of me's tempted to kind of do this little tabulating thing. Okay, we just crossed 400, okay? You know, and, and now we're getting towards 500, you know. And, and, and then once you get the peanuts and the Cracker Jacks, you got to have something to drink to wash it down. So, okay, bring the drinks, you know. And so, so we're passing out Cokes to everybody, and, and, and it's only the second inning, you know. And, and, and so... <laughs> This is, you know, and, and so finally we, we, we sort of stretched that out till about sixth inning. And finally the boys are like, could we have some of the hot dogs? The hot dogs like that. I said, well, the hot dogs do look pretty good, actually. So, 
So I went down and, and I, you know, threw down $100 and brought back six hot dogs with ketchup on them. And, and, and I passed out the, the hot dogs and, 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 you know, and I felt, I really did feel great about the, the, the whole experience. I was just looking at their smiles and their laughter and passed out the hot dogs. I started eating their hot dogs except one of the boys. And I said, what's wrong? And he kind of tiptoed over to me and he said, I can't eat ketchup. I'm like, you can't eat ketchup? No, it makes me sick. And I was tempted to just say, well, just let me lick off the ketchup here. And, <laughs> you know, because I'm about having to take out a second mortgage to fund this whole uh, deal. But I didn't. You know why? Because my heart was involved in this thing. So what did I do? I found myself doing something entirely counterintuitive. I jumped up and said, well, let me go get, anybody want some more hot dogs while I'm out? I'll get some round of hot dogs with no ketchup. And, and so I went out and got more hot dogs. And, and, and then I actually ran into this booth and discovered that the real Bluebell was back. And, and so I threw down another $100 and brought back a lot of pints of Bluebell. And now why wasn't I upset at the end of that whole experience? Because my heart was totally engaged in the whole afternoon and evening. My heart just felt so full as I looked at them and as we were laughing and Suzanne and I were talking about God's blessing to us, particularly to me, and just what a year this has been. And I just felt so full as I was taking the whole thing in with them. It wasn't hard to spend the money. But I thought to myself, you know, if I had only been tabulating and calculating in my mind, I could have saved a lot of money. But I would have also missed some of the happiest, funniest, most joyful memories of 2015 with my family. It was just a great, <laughs> a great day. Now, why do I tell you that story? To illustrate this. Nobody had to command me to do it. Why? Because my heart was in it. Now, if I can do that much for this little family that I know and love, isn't it only right that I also might let the Lord touch my heart for some other families and some other people in some other parts of the world that might not be able to do what I was able to do with my family that day? Isn't it only right for, for me to, to let, say, Lord, melt my heart and give me the want to, to want to, to care for other people and to see your kingdom expanded and to see missionaries go where there's children who don't even know about Jesus. They don't even know about the cross. They don't even know what the Bible is. Isn't it right for me to let my heart be touched and say, Lord, just melt my heart and give me the want to, to want to for the rest of the world as well as just my family. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. He was saying, hey guys, I'm, I'm not gonna make you do that. I'm not commanding you. I just want you to want to, the way the Macedonians have done it. And just think, you know, you Corinthians, what did Jesus do? He became poor 
from his richness, he gave it up and became poor so that you in your poverty could become rich. And when you ponder that and you ponder the fact that because of what he did, you'll live 10 billion years and more with him in a resurrection body, is that not enough to melt your heart and say, you know what? I think I can. I think I will. Lord, give me the want to, to want to. There's nothing better than hearing a person who says, I now want to. I want to be generous. That's a sign of transformation. Now, before we pray, I want to make a few closing pastoral comments as we wrap up the series today. Because I know what some of you are thinking right now. Um, some of you right now, you're, especially those of you who are kind of bottom line kind of people, you're like, okay, this is good. I needed to hear this. But could you please just net it out for me and sort of give me the simple bottom line, you know, you're thinking, you know, when talks like this, generosity and stuff come up, they leave me feeling a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit confused. And because I'm trying to figure out, okay, I want every part of my life to be surrendered to Christ. I want every part of my life to be transformed, but I need somebody. Could you just net it out for me? Just, just hang a bullseye and just say, if you'll do this, then you're hitting the bullseye. But you see, that's just it. I can't do that. I certainly can't do it from the New Testament because nowhere in the New Testament do we read anything about a minimum level of giving. For that matter, neither do we read anything about the, a minimal level of serving. If you serve just this much, then we're good. We're close, you're transformed. Neither does the Bible say anything about minimum levels of praying. You know, two minutes, that's not enough, but three, you're in. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't give any minimum level of showing love to your spouse or to your children or showing integrity or ethics you know, in, in your workplace. The Bible, the New Testament doesn't give us these kind of standards because Jesus never was about saying, let me just give you sort of the minimal level, bottom line. If you just chin up over that, just kind of keep hanging above that, then, you know, you can be done with it. He's, he's like, no, because that's not what I want. I want a relationship. I want your heart, like all of it. I want you to love me and give yourself to me the way that I have loved you and given myself to you. Isn't that enough? So the only scriptural standard, you see, that we really have when it comes to this generosity thing, it doesn't really come from the New Testament. It comes from the Old Testament. We've talked about it. And we call it the tithe, the 10%. Um, and so, look, I'll just say, because some of you are like, okay, still something like concrete would really help me. Okay, we'll shoot for the Old Testament standard. For many of you, that would be a huge Macedonian-like 
sacrifice. And it would take a year or two for you to even get there in your budget. Okay, if you need a target, shoot for that target. Um, but there's many others of you, and Suzanne and I would have to put ourselves in this category, who you hear about tithing 10%, you're like, that's not really a challenge at this point. We've been doing that for years. I think the challenge for us is to, to say, Lord, now what? What's the next step of surrender? What's the next thing that you're calling me to let go of as my life moves increasingly from this earth to heaven? And as I store up fewer treasures for myself here on earth and more in heaven. I think that's the challenge um, for many of us to say, I, I want to go further, Lord. I want to be totally yours. I want to belong to you. So sorry I can't give you a, a clearer target point other than just to say, well, in that second category, why don't you move from Old Testament standards into New Testament standards? And that's where you grab the rope and really yell Geronimo and you just swing out and just say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I'm completely yours. One or two more thoughts and then we're going to pray. If you're here today and you're a guest, you're brand new, in some ways you probably feel kind of like, I sort of feel like I walked into a kitchen table conversation with the pastor and his people, and you kind of did. But, but I'm glad that you came. And we're real people, real life. Um, so, but I would want to tell you this, particularly if you're new to church, if you're new to Jesus, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, if you're just sort of checking it out, you're like, I, yeah, you know, I don't think this is where I'd want to start. No, it probably is not where you need to start. Because you need to back way up. And you need to get to know Jesus. And you need to experience the touch of his grace in your life. And you need to, to, to confess your need for him as your savior. You, you don't need to start reaching in your wallet and start pulling out money and say, well, here, I think this was the point. No, no, that was not the point. The point is... Every person, whether you're a veteran, long-time Christian or whether you're just a brand newbie, is let's open our hearts to Jesus. Because as we do, he'll increasingly say, now follow me here, now follow me there, now surrender here, now surrender there. So give him your heart. That's my challenge. And if you're new also, we've got opportunities. Get in the starting point class um, that's kind of a good on-ramp just for new folks. Get, tr get into one of our grow groups where you can start getting some of your questions answered about Jesus uh, is, as well. Um, but most of all, uh, let Christ touch your heart because that's where the transformation comes from. Um, last thing. Some of you, I know, you're asking this. So are the ushers getting ready to pass out a pledge card or something like that? And the answer is no. We've done that in the past, and maybe you've come from churches that have done it, and we'll do it again in the future, I'm sure. Um, but I'm asking you today for more than just a, a pledge card. I'm asking that you give your whole life 
to Jesus. Every single bit of it. That's my challenge to us. Now, I'd like to lead us in a little time of, of prayer. Maybe it's a little different than, than sometimes at the end. I'm not going to do so. I'll do a little talking, but I want to give you some time to do some talking with him yourself. And so if you're able and willing, I'd invite you, would you sort of scooch forward in your chair so that the person behind you could scooch up and, and kind of kneel? And let's just go to our knees and let's spend a few minutes right now talking with him and committing ourselves to him. Lord, I'm quite aware that in a room this size, there are all sorts of transformations needing to happen. Transformations in marriages, transformations in parenting, transformations in the workplace, transformations uh, in the neighborhood and in the schools, but I'm also aware that for any number of us, there's a transformation that's needed in our heart as well, revolving around our possessions, our stuff, because we're so easily turned into materialistic, greedy people. And so, Lord, you know well, I've been praying so much about this message and raising the white flag of surrender in my own soul. And my prayer now is that even in the quietness of this room, um, every person would raise the white flag of surrender to you. In whatever area, and it might be more than one area, it might be several areas that they might even in the quietness of this moment just say, Lord, I'm gonna entrust this to you. I'm going to quit holding with a tight fist this aspect of my life and saying, in essence, you can have all of me, Jesus, but this five or this 10% or this 7% or this 13% of my soul. Won't you just now, in the quietness of this uh, room, all of our rooms, just raise the white flag and talk with him about that. You know, a transformed disciple of Jesus, a transformed follower says, Holy Spirit, you can modify my schedule today. It's not just about me. You can change my plans. You could bring somebody in, across my pathway to say, serve them, and I'm going to serve them, Lord. Um, you might say, Lord, you might say, step up to that person and tell them about me. The surrendered person's gonna say, I'll do it. I'll just walk right over there and tell them, let me tell you something about what is very important to me, what's made a difference in my life, Jesus. A transformed person also says, Lord, I wanna be sacrificial and I wanna be generous. Show me what to do, where to do that. Speak, I'll listen, I'll obey. Friends, if, if that's not where your heart is, then there's something not going right in your walk with Christ. 
And you need to confess that. And you need to repent of that. And do that right now, would you? Just open your heart to him. A transformed follower asks the Lord regularly, um, am I becoming the man, the woman, the husband, the wife, the mom, the dad, the employer, the employee, Lord, that you want me to be? Because he, he was never interested in disciples who would just be disciples for a couple of hours each week on Sunday mornings. That's never what he recruited people for. He said, no, 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 I'm asking you to follow me 24-7. A transformed heart says, Lord, search me. Am I talking too much? Am I being boastful? Am I being critical? Am I being overly opinionated? Am I powering up over people inappropriately? Am I being self-centered? Am I too busy? Am I hiding parts of myself that I need to bring into the light? Am I gossiping and breaking confidentialities? I just sense that today the Lord is saying to any number of us, today would be a good day for you to get off the fence to come all in following me with every aspect of your whole life let me transform all of it Lord you know how much I've been working because I wanted this message to just open up this church and to open up everyone in it that all of us might see what it really means to be transformed. Because, Lord, you know, I don't want to think that there would ever be a day that any person who was ever a part of this flock would stand before you to hear you say, well, you had a form of religiosity. Certainly on Sundays you did, but I never knew you. I never knew your heart. I never had your heart. Oh, Lord, that, I don't want that for anybody. You know, Lord. My hope and my prayer is that every person who ever was a part of Faith Bridge might someday stand triumphantly and confidently before you, trusting in you, Jesus, for their salvation by grace through faith alone and able to hear the words from you. Well done. You've been a good and a faithful servant. You gave me your heart. Now, come in and enjoy these dwellings with me throughout eternity. Lord, won't you make us all into your transformed followers? I ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. 
Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Lou Ann Riley, Grow Group Director, and I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just brought part four of our series, Transformed. Welcome, Pastor Ken. Thanks. Great. And so over the last four weeks, we've been looking at uh, the stages, really, of transformation, right. awakening and surrendering, prioritizing and excelling, um, and kind of this journey that your heart takes as you become transformed in your life to look more like Christ. Um, so I'm just going to ask, I've got a few questions, so I'm sure. just going to jump right in. Okay, so I'm here on Sunday, and God's stirring in me, and I want to be transformed and uh, do all the things that we've been talking about, but I leave here, and I go back to an environment that I, I don't feel like is conducive to living a transformed life to surrender. My, my work is not a place where people are surrendered or mm -hmm. are part of believers. My marriage is hard or um, the kids' school, all these things that are in my life that make it seem like this transformation that we've been talking about on Sunday, it's, it's hard for me to live that out where I am, yeah. where I find myself. Well, then you find yourself right where every generation of serious Christian has ever found themselves. You probably even have it better. Even though you mention your boss doesn't know Christ and there's ethical issues perhaps going on and, and you're having a hard marriage and this sort of thing, uh, whatever the, the hypothetical situation you're describing, which I think is characteristic of a lot of faith bridgers, let's <laughs> draw back the lens and look at historical Christianity. How is Christianity how was Christianity birthed? It was birthed with Christians hiding out in catacombs. Why? Because if the Romans found them, they would slice their heads off uh, for their faith. Well, you probably don't have it that bad, you know, and, um, and, and, and that's still going on today, isn't it, in other parts of the world? Um, so wherever Christianity has thrived and spread, it is because there are agents of light, agents of the gospel, agents of Christ who are saying, who are pre-deciding, I belong to Jesus and Jesus alone and come hell or high water, whatever it is, I'm going to live for Jesus. And now you frame it that way and you go back and you say, well, my boss is kind of a pain in the fanny and, you know, whatever, but it puts it in perspective mm -hmm. and I think exposes the uh, flabby muscles that many American Christians have because the assumption almost in that is, well, I just wish my life could always just be like church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But that's never been what vibrant Christianity uh, thrived on. And maybe the tectonic plates of culture are shifting and, and America won't even be that 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years from now. Uh, so you know, let's, let's put on our big boy pants and our big girl pants and say, okay, if I'm going to follow after Christ, I'm going to have to do it like they did in the Bible and read some church history and read about the, the people who got crucified upside down and said, but I'm not pulling off my faith. I know that Jesus is alive. I know he came for us. That's where my hope is and that's where my security is and that's where my eternity is going to be. 
and go and do likewise. I think that's r really how we have to, to frame it. Though it is easy for any of us to get into sort of a woe is me, mm -hmm. oh well, you know, I have such a hard life. And I'm not saying anybody listening doesn't have a hard life because everybody has a hard life in their own ways. But so has any Christian who was ever worth a salt throughout history. Hmm, that's good. So I guess this is one of those questions that's kind of um, a moving target as well. Tell me this. How do I know it's working? I want to be transformed. Sure. I'm trying to be transformed. Tell me how I know that it's working. Well, I would say several things. Number one, um, you can know if you're being faithful. You can't necessarily bring about the, the, the harvest or the fruit, you know, and read Jeremiah. Talk about a guy who tried to speak truth and live it and cried all the time and, and never could see any fruit from it. So we can't even be responsible for that. Um, although sometimes the Lord will let us see some fruit and praise the Lord when he gives us a glimpse into that. But I think the litmus test that we have to always be applying to ourselves is the, I'm going to be gut level honest and frank with myself and, and say, am I really following after Christ in my ethics, in my conversation, in my uh, behavior, uh, in my home life? And we have to be uh, honest with ourselves. Now, the problem with all of us is we're not honest with ourselves. And that's where community comes in. Mm -hmm. And the, the importance of having, being in a grow group like the ones that you oversee, um, where you have a brother or sister or two uh, or more, but even within a larger grow group, maybe a few that you're clustering with extra close, where you're being transparent and honest and saying, here is a scene from my life this past week and where I had to figure out how do I live as a disciple in this situation? Do you think I got it right? And being transparent enough to, being real enough to, to expose our real selves to other real Christians. This isn't people who aren't Christians. That didn't do any help. You've got to be people who've, who love Jesus and are studying the word and are willing to say, well, let's, Let's look at what God's word said and let's check kind of what you did. And yeah, I think you did. I, I don't think there's any better way or, well, you know, that was one way to do it, but maybe this would be a better way next time and more in keeping with God's word. And, you know, so I, I think, um, you know, and, and, and so we, we're being honest with ourselves. We're being honest with community and we're hoping for fruit. And sometimes the Lord gives us fruit and that's extra bonus when you see you know, or even somebody speaks to us and says, like I was illustrating, you know, I can tell something's different about you. Uh, well, praise the Lord when that happens. Mm. But even when it doesn't happen, we're called still to pick up our cross and follow hard after Jesus. That's good. That's good. Um, one of the things I think even Julie talked about is surrender can be costly. Yeah. Um, to your time, to your life, to everything. To, to everything. Um, and so when am I done? When do I know that I have arrived at transformation? And when you really got transformed, when I'm standing uh, uh, over your coffin doing your funeral, <laughs> because um, this, the Bible says we will only be fully transformed in glory. 
And so this side of heaven, we're in process. The, the big theological word is sanctification. It's if justification is where our, our line is crossed and we drive a stake in the ground and say, now I'm a Christian, sanctification is the process of being brought into more Christ-likeness or like Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, 2, uh, 3, 18, uh, we're being transformed like we were talking about today. This is the sanctifying process. So you never graduate, well, you do graduate, but you don't graduate this side of heaven. It's only then that we finally cross uh, that finish line and join in the crowds of heaven and, you know, and that'll be a wonderful thing. But in the meanwhile, we press on, we run the good race, we fight the good fight, and we carry our cross faithfully. That's awesome. Great. Well, thank you for this and for this series has been transformative for myself. And I know Sully said for him when he was preaching as well. Um, That's for me as taking, well. Taking a look at your heart and your life and continue to assess where does God want to grow me. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.